Hello and welcome back to the Information and Innovation podcast from Team Defence. Today we have our first of seven instalments taken from the Lognet 18.2 conference earlier this year. The audio is recorded live and so in some places the quality can drop. To see the slides that correspond to the talks, please please visit teamdefence.info website. We start with Colonel Eddie Corrigan introducing the Defence Logistics Agenda. So my, uh, my time today is to talk about where we are currently, um, <coughs> the changing context and the challenges. The challenge being that half those sandwiches have just been eaten, but we'll go over those again just for, uh, for reinforcement purposes. Um, and then to talk about the defence logistic concepts. And I use the word concepts at the moment as a, a broad set of notes that we're trying to create an image through, rather than thinking that these are full blown mature concepts. It's very much the early days we do. Um, and what we're trying to do to develop those concepts and how we'd like to work And then how we can exploit and progress that work that sits within those, and then beyond that, explaining exactly why it is that we're trying to do that and how we're going to do it over the next year. So, where are we? Well, the first thing to say is that we started with a vision a couple of years ago. And whilst the focus of that vision was on 2025, um, to deliver Joint Force 25, it actually had an end state or a state of being that looked at 2035. And that vision still stands true. And the video that you saw is the video we first showed a couple of years ago. And that video is still extant. So really we are now trying to update it, to modernise it, having captured some of the work we've done recently. But the essence of this is that we had a body of evidence, a body of work that goes beyond the decade and more. <coughs> We conducted research, analysis, experimentation, PhDs, etc. And we had more information, perhaps, than we knew what to do with. And we were spending a lot of time doing the same thing again and again. We already had the answers at our fingertips. What we didn't have was an understanding of how to employ those solutions and how to make them happen. And that's fundamentally the area that we found ourselves in. So we stopped doing more and more of that research and analysis. And you heard it in 18.1 that we then focused on delivering an analysis of all of that information through a multi-criteria decision support tool that we named the Cube. The outcomes of which you were briefed focused in on three major areas um, and that we're going to be talking about, the big three, but it also had some miscellaneous areas. Those were the areas that we said the evidence showed us had the greatest potential to influence the way in which we're going to do business, to deliver benefits, <coughs> and to fundamentally change our business. And we needed to move from that intellectual and analytical <coughs> debate into more of an applied debate. And this is where the birth of the concept has come from. It's the idea that we can start painting a picture of what we want. So at 18.1, you heard about, first of all, logistic information services and systems. Um, and you were given an update on those through the Modernising Defence Logistics Programme key, of course, to everything we want to do. So I don't want to focus just on the systems, but also on the fact that the data that sits within those, and not just within the ones that we own, but all those that are owned out with Defence Centre, is a part of what will enable and determine how well we can do in future. You heard in detail about additive um, as a subset of advanced manufacturing, um, and the potential that that has for production at or near the point of use interesting little um, abbreviation there, as one of the big three areas that we were focusing on. So where we are today then is looking at accelerating the innovation, but realistically we're going to talk initially about the other two key areas, um, and you're going to get some key speakers looking at those, so I won't dwell in detail on them, you're going to get a wave top of the view. Um, 
And in doing that, we'll also talk about some of the miscellaneous and enabling capabilities that fall out of those as well. So that's why the bracket plus. So it's recognizing not just three things, there are lots of dependencies in there. So today, of course, is then about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and then remote slash robotic and autonomous systems, learning the events of human machine teaming. So if you've heard those saying, we are one and the same thing. Um, and we're going to be looking at, or we are already talking about, how we're going to develop these emerging concepts. And again, I'll come back to later on, the role of the Defence Concepts and Doctrine Centre is actually taking forward and owning this. So it is not a defence logistics driven piece of work. It is a centre driven piece of work, which is a fundamental change for us because it recognises the significance of the future logistics force in delivering the propositions that we want across defence. So, what are the challenges? Well, those are the things I'd say that have already been addressed in quite a bit of detail. Um, the scale of ambition was already outlined in Joint Force 25. That was this force of 50,000 people with all its equipment across all of the environments um, and the domains, and included some of the threats that we faced in those. Well, that itself has not gone away, but how that operates is the new challenge. We are only now starting to understand in defence how we might use that force against our future adversaries. And the defence operating concept that underpins and supports that is being developed in tandem with the work we're now doing and with the concept that we're developing. So we are informing and learning from each other. The speed of relevance. It is not just good enough being there and existing. We need to be able to deploy that capability. We need to be able to deploy the technology at the time we need it in order to both deter and also to act at the same time. And that is against a threat, as you've already heard, that although it was already identified in SDSR 15, has probably started emerging far more quickly than we were expecting. And in some ways is less certain than perhaps we understood it to be as well. And there are other threats out there, beyond just scale and near peer threats, to threats to our resilience <coughs> at home, to threats in the cyber domain. All of those threats are considerations within our own ability to deliver and project physical capability and sustain it beyond that. The operating concepts I've mentioned, there are no operating concepts around this force just yet. They are being developed now. We do, however, have concepts around what the future environment will look like. And we think that future environment in the space between 2025 and 2035 will start to be much more urban. And when I say urban, I don't mean mud huts. We are talking about civilized urban environments. You know, complex high-rises, complex street structures, complex subterranean structures. But we're also talking about littoral. So operating within 100 kilometers or so of major waterways. That is a picture of the future that we think we're going to be operating in. And returning to contingency. So whilst we may have some plans, around certain nations where we think we might go, it may just be that we go back to operating at very short notice in areas that we have not yet properly defined. And that is something we need to deal with sooner or later. Our ability to sustain is more and more outsourced, and more and more contractualized, and more and more interdependent upon organizations that we have no direct control over. And those continue to be challenges that need to be addressed. And those are challenges that you will hear about later on and have done already. And the effects of technology. So whilst harnessing technology 
in the support network and in the defense logistic enterprise is absolutely seen as a way of achieving the effects that we want. It will have an implication on the current workforce that we have yet to understand. It will have an effect on our people and the way in which they train, the way in which they operate, the way in which they think, or how they even see the job in future that we have yet to understand and define. Um, and working with industries where that has already happened will be a key part of our work going forward in here. Um, and I've already mentioned, therefore, the future operating environment um, as a constant challenge to us. We keep saying this, we keep saying it will be urban littoral, and we think it's around the corner, but it all seems to be further away than we think, but being prepared for that is a today job. The second bit of this, then, is, um, is the speed of technology and the advancement, again, as alluded to just now. The advancement of technology in Moore's law says processor power doubles every 18 months or so, but what it doesn't say is that with that processing power, the growth of knowledge, the ideas that have been generated, have grown exponentially. So the processor power has driven an almost vertical curve in people's ideas and the way in which to address challenges, the speed at which they can think and operate, that we have perhaps not yet caught up with either. Um, and the ability through that to observe to orientate, to decide, and to act has increased phenomenally. Perhaps more so in the public sector and amongst our unconstrained um, potential adversaries than it has for us. And taking advantage of those capabilities ourselves to remain on the front foot is one of our key challenges. So the ability of defence at the moment to keep pace with that technological change because of the questions you've asked, the speed of the acquisition process, the risks involved in some of these areas is a fundamental challenge that we must look at. And therefore, we need to look at different ways of delivering those effects, of owning those effects, of operating those effects, and of sharing the burden and sharing the cost of those effects. Uh, and that's why you're all here. Industry and academia and allies and partners all sharing this. Closing the technology gap, however, closing that capability gap, is a constant pressure for us. We have argued, for argument's sake only, that we are perhaps, in real terms, 20 or so years behind the leading edge technology. General Angus has mentioned in his opening part that we want to get back onto that leading edge, perhaps not get the leading edge. So closing that gap every epoch now, so that within a couple of epochs, so by 2025, we are back at best practice, best industry standards, best technology available off the shelf before we start thinking about the exquisite and leading and leading age beyond that as well. So that remains a constant tension for us. Legacy, uh, enduring capabilities and platforms. The demand for logistics is driven by the combat and combat support arms fundamentally. Their equipment programs, and it's only a, you know, a snapshot just for representation, is fixed to the largest degree already. You know, there are equipments in there that will exist for 30, 40, 50 years over which we have no direct control. So our challenge is to see how we might support those differently, not how we can change those fundamentally. Although one of our challenges is also how might we influence the changes within them <coughs> to be less needed, to be more effective, to reduce the logistic change. Future platforms, um, and again you've heard from Mixter, will need to be designed from today onwards with those considerations in mind. So early in the cabinet cycle, we need to have policies and processes 
that lead to that change. The Defence Support Network, through the Defence Logistic Division, seeks to properly integrate a global whole force solution. It's no longer just about us and our partners alone. It's about understanding the availability of the global network and what it can do and how we can integrate that before we even need to. Those new capabilities have said we'll need new ways of supporting. And for example, in the Mars Rover case, um, NASA mandated that a significant degree of that needed to be 3D printable. Uh, so those kinds of decisions are the things that we need to build in our support processes as well. And then finally, budget sharing and reducing, um, reducing shares and defence inflation. Again, already commented on Defence inflation is growing faster than inflation in the public sector, uh, sorry, in, in the public domain. And how do we manage that process out? Well, again, I go back to our burden sharing. We need to be better at sharing with our allies, our partners, and with yourselves, and finding a new way of working together. Something that changes the way in which cost of ownership and cost of use is too much of a disparity. We can no longer invest in capital capabilities if they're already relevant for a year or two before having to reinvest. How do we manage that process? So, the defence logistics vision and the concept notes that we're looking to. Um, I've already mentioned the defence logistics vision. That one seeks to be strategically prepared, globally responsive, and operationally precise through a world class, world beating. Uh, support network. Um, I've introduced you to some of the emerging concepts, the defense operating concept. Um, the concepts we are now drafting, which I'm going to talk to you about, are very much still in early draft and will be taken forward subsequently and through this process. Um, we are looking at the problems and challenges out to 2035. And I reiterate that. It is not in 2035, it's out to. Because if we don't consider them now, we won't achieve them on the way through. So there is a pathway between today and 2035 that does not mean the end state alone will be done on that day. I say this and I'm sorry for banging this home, but occasionally we think it's okay, we can leave it until tomorrow. It starts today. And we'll leave it all our time frames. So joint force 25 is a starting point being addressed by the transport transformation. How we move beyond that into 35 is now being investigated. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to paint a picture or a storyboard of the ways of the future defence support network, or the ways in which it can support those future operations which we're just beginning to understand the, the utility of, um, to achieve those desired outcomes. And what are those desired outcomes? Well, other than being prepared, responsive, and precise, it is about being able to achieve, afford, and sustain whatever deployed force we want to have out there, and the capabilities we need to do so. It is doing so with a reduced footprint against a reduced demand or logistic need, and relatively speaking, a reduced cost to the effect that we deliver. And the areas that we focused on and came up with through our process through decision support, velocity, and standardization. Decision support clearly speaks to data and the manipulation of that data. Velocity is in our physical speed throughout the support network, as well as in our processes and practices. It is about reducing friction and the time it takes to deliver effect. Fundamental to all of this um, is the need, however, to improve our data. Um, and I will come back to that in a moment. The quality of data is a concern to most. 
but it's perhaps one of those things that we cannot address as a single item in itself, and perhaps shouldn't focus on entirely. But access to the data, which we already have lots of, is one of those key bits. And some of these technologies will help us to get through that data barrier. So, what is the first of the concepts that we're talking about? Well, it is moving to a distribution focus. And there have been papers on this published in the past 10, 15 years about moving to intermodal um, capabilities, about increasing and improving the density within our storage um, and our distribution methodology. It is looking for something that is faster, better utilized, more precise, better integrated, and more productive in our distribution assets. So to reduce the existing inventory mass in American terminology, it's trying to get away from the iron mountains that we deploy just in case, which make us more static and fixer. And it is actually having something that from an end-to-end -end perspective, from the factory through to point of consumption, is much more focused and much quicker. Hopefully through this, what we will do, or not hopefully, but we will through this process, therefore, also reduce the number of people in the echeloning system and some of you would have heard me speak about the fourth to first line paradigm. At the moment, we have those echelons in place so as to mitigate the demand, the unexpected and unanticipated, <coughs> and to ensure sufficiency because we can't adequately predict and, most importantly, cannot distribute quickly enough in the way in which we currently do our business. We want to reduce the need for reconfiguration. So once it leaves, the strat base, the resilience, uh, the strategic base, or the supply network nearest to it within the network, or supply point nearest to it within the network. We want to ensure that it can somehow, through modularized packaging, go straight to its user by only being transferred from one transport system to the next without human intervention as far as possible. So the capabilities which can help us with the requirements at the point of need, um, or which can help reduce the requirements at the point of need, do we include things like additive manufacturing <coughs> and advanced manufacturing, recycling of goods, production of water, production of fuels through alternative means, optimization of the usage of those things, um, using environment, uh, environments, modern scavenging systems, um, reduced need <coughs> through smarter, smaller, lighter, and better configured stock um, and standardized packaging, I've already mentioned, and standardizing also for interoperability with partners and allies. Energy optimization, alternatives to energy, again, back on the subject. And then improved deployable technical infrastructure. We've all seen the mountains of ISO containers all over the place, which we couldn't find. We're looking for better solutions. Those that have inbuilt tracking devices, those that let us know where things are, those that are modularized to be smart and to move quickly. So the hypothesis we have in the distribution, or the assertions we've made through the distribution concept, is that lift and distribution requirements, and in this I include capabilities for projection in the strategic right-way fuel sector, could be reduced by between 30 and 50% <coughs> through smarter loading plans, enabled by smart modeling and simulation through AI and ML, that rapid distribution assets can reduce stock holding requirements by 30 to 50%, and that improved speed and productivity, um, including capacity, 
can reduce again the logistics distribution footprint by between 30 and 50 percent. And then if we overlay automation on that, that automation itself could improve that again by 30 to 50 percent, if not more. So those are the kinds of hypotheses we're going to be testing as we move forward. So the first of the big three technological areas, therefore, and the draft concepts are being produced, and do save your detailed questions to the end, because I do have the authors here with me. They think they're escaping this, but they're not. Um, AI. So the ability of a computer system to perform tasks that are normally, um, would normally require human intelligence, visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between different languages. Um, machine learning. Technologies where the algorithm creates rules that it will operate on to achieve a given goal. Um, the, key to, to the key to this is the fact that those are things that we do today, but using these to do this at machine speeds is the fundamental for us. The ability of using these to model, to simulate, to plan, to predict is the key. But to get that, we need access to information. We need to understand that information. We need to be able to share it with the right people. Uh, and we have those multiple data sources. They're our own, they're in the World Wide Web, they're in the Internet of Things, they're amongst our partners. And we are doing quite a bit of work at the moment with some of our partners through the triad on behalf of VCDS to generate a system that understands the rules related to international data sharing on certain platforms. And then from that, start learning what it can and can't do in response to a user's question. But again, the key is, it's all about doing it at machine speeds. The essence of this is that it creates real logistics intelligence. And it does so before we even start thinking about the migration. It does so by understanding what capabilities exist in the network, in the global footprint of logistics, through commercial, military, and partner assets. Um, and then once we've done that, we can start modeling the options. So we can hopefully model hundreds of options well before we even think about having to go to the field to do so. <coughs> um, for us, the plan prepare phase is the key. The project and sustain phase, then the prediction, the forecasting, all falls out of this capability. It is a significant capability. It should not be underestimated. <coughs> um, you heard again that we have two initiatives uh, already running, so the VCS triumph I've just mentioned, and then the defense logistic framework <coughs> that which is looking at the policy statements and how we can use AI to look at those to help get our way through policy. The next area that we talked about and that you heard much about last time was additive and advanced manufacture. Um, I don't want to dwell on this too much because you have quite a bit of this on the last, um, the last period, sorry, in, the, um, in 18.1. But again, it must be built in from the outset. Um, the idea that it is something that we can only do in the tactical space, printing small widgets, it is a fundamental flaw. We have to design in today the policies that ensure that future military capabilities and requirements have the design technology already inbuilt that, can meet, that means that they can be built anywhere under license or whatever the constraints are. And some of these examples here are just what came from the last, uh, from the last presentation. Um, it would allow us to use these capabilities throughout the defense support network whether it's at home or whether it's deployed. There is a route, obviously, from today through to 25 that would see us getting closer and closer to the deployed space and the tactical space and how we're to be used. But for today, 
it is more in the airspace, in the strategic space, in the, in the support space, than it is deployed. But there are many exercises, and there are many tests ongoing, not just in the UK through the Navy um, and through the Army, but also with our partners and allies. There is much work ongoing in this space to try and prove this set of hypotheses. And then the last big area that we were looking at and have been looking at is robotic, remote, autonomous systems, human machine <coughs> teaming. And again, we tend to focus on the physical manifestation of these in autonomous convoys, driverless vehicles, drones. Um, those are not necessarily the, the key thing here. What we are looking for is automating processes, automating practices, taking those things which today require swivel chair operation between systems, between people, between organizations, and automating those as far as possible. And you can see the dependency here on AI and ML and data, uh, and we don't want to dwell on that too much. But again, there is a massive amount of work ongoing in this space right now. Um, and again, understanding where we are now has been a key part of this and working with all the services to understand what they are doing and where we want to go next with this is a fundamental in achieving and delivering uh, results in the near and medium term. So some of the other areas that we're looking at. Um, so those are the big three. The other areas that we're looking at are things to reduce footprint, to reduce demand, um, to increase lifespan, of equipment to increase lifespan of consumables where possible. So things like the space food concept is a concept that has been drawn up and written. Um, it's based on NASA's space food. And it's actually now it's been commissioned through the Institute of Naval Medicine to take a look at this to see how we can do that. Now that seems like a small project, but it's an indicator, perhaps, of how we can decrease the volumes of things that we have to move and how we can make sure that those things are then able to endure longer in more extreme environments and that we don't have to rotate the stop as often and as quickly. Uh, so this is a pathfinder development and it helps us get back after this density within the supply chain and the support network that I'm talking about. The ability to maximise our lift uh, so that we actually wait out before bulking out where possible. Modularized storage plays into that space Modernized storage is part of a technical infrastructure piece I talked about. The idea that ISO containers are properly configured, properly loaded, um, that they are therefore, um, that they have packages in there that are standardized for subsequent delivery through alternative distribution. So we know, for example, that approximately 40% of our, of our defense demand is under 20 kilograms as a package. Um, well, if we can get drones that can do that, then we just take the box out that is already pre-configured for less than 20 kilograms and we get it delivered directly. And hopefully in the future it needs less and less human intervention. Um, different ways of looking at warehousing if you need the warehousing. If we still need that stock holding facility, why is it ground-based? Why is it ground up? Why is it so big? Let's have a look at the different technical infrastructure, different ways of looking at it. I haven't dwelt on um, augmented reality or virtual reality at this point. This is a fundamental part of our business as well. The ability for telemaintenance to work already in peacetime will give an indicator as to why telemaintenance wouldn't be possible in the future, making troops more self-sustaining through virtual reality and augmented reality. The ability to train troops using these capabilities. The ability to model and simulate through these capabilities. 
provide significant opportunities for us in doing this in the future. Um, and warehousing technology, both before and at home, is much smarter as a key area. So those are some of the fundamental areas that we're looking at, and the concepts around those are now trying to draw those pictures, paint the picture of the end-to-end -end use, and then try and bring the whole together through that unifying concept of a distribution focus. So the hypotheses that we want to test. With each of those papers, there are a series of benefits um, statements, a series of assertions, and a series of hypotheses. And we're now looking to develop and refine both the concepts and the hypotheses. We are working with the single services, we're working with the operating centers, we're working with Ally to develop this. And sadly, our American counterpart, who was going to be here, he, he and ourselves have been exchanging a significant amount of detail around their emerging concepts, based around their 2015 concept, to try and align ourselves and share our knowledge. Um, we are creating a series of workshops underneath the WorldCamp. <coughs> being hosted by TD Info, and my thanks to TD Info, and to the use of Steve Green as our industry rep on the floor plate. He will be delivering the workshop to test those big three and those concepts we've just discussed. Um, and you see why we're trying to do it. We're trying to prove the concept. We're trying to prove the hypotheses or disprove them. Um, we're looking to demonstrate what the Arthur Fossil is today, um, looking at what gaps there may be and how we address those gaps, and then looking at how we might actually deliver those capabilities once they're there. Also, what's not in here is to identify what we haven't thought of. So within those things that I've just discussed, you may, through involvement in this, tell us that there's something already there or about to be <coughs> haven't yet considered as part of the solution space. So your involvement throughout that process is key. This is both the opportunity for us and for you to go into that business development space and to deliver solutions collectively. So the routes and activities that we have, you're all well aware of LogNet, that communications device that brings industry and academia, partners and allies into the room together, so that we share that information with you, and hopefully you can come back to us. With NATO, we work through the globally integrated logistics for rapid aggregation. It's a very uh, small type of Gilroy, commonly known as, um, which allows us into the NATO space, and although we are an observer, we're an extremely active observer. In fact, we're more engaged than those that are engaged. Um, so we have a lot of influence within the NATO footprint, is the key. Our logistics development agenda is that piece that you've heard of previously, um, and through that we manage the knowledge and we manage the information and the desires that we are looking for research and analysis to chase. We, um, DEFLOG's Concepts and Force Development, sit on the Strategic Force Development Group, and we represent the Defence Support Network and the Defence Logistic Enterprise. We try and bring that back to all those people involved in the Defence Support Network and its development for the future. And when we take your advice and guidance and bring it back in, um, and we are, and I will talk a moment about the opportunity that's just coming our way, a bit like a train down a tunnel down a track, um, but it is coming our way, and we have a significant opportunity in the next few weeks to start shaping our proposal. And then finally, through Defence Science and Technology, the Chief Scientific Advisor. Again, we commission work in conjunction with the commands through the Policy Capability Enterprise Support Programme, which has access to 24 other programmes within um, the Chief Scientific Advisor's area. So we can benefit from and commission work in those programmes where it is appropriate to do so. Um, 
Death logs are the central coordinators <coughs> of this work, but again, in consultation with the command, the carrier We are the advocates for those big three, but we do want somebody to take them on. So Defence Technologies, DTEC and DNS is our lead, essentially, for additive manufacture. Army headquarters are doing a lot in the remote and autonomous systems space, but don't yet quite want to take on the full lead, I understand why. Um, but through our staff, we look to coordinate the priorities and the funding for the research that we need to do. Um, and then through the Defence Logistics Force Development Board, we again bring back all those stakeholders that are key to deciding what is needed, what money we want to spend to try and coordinate all of that activity. And that is done through ourselves and each of the commands and operating centres. So, groups of exploitation. What's the difference between defence polymeric transformation and ourselves? DSMT has the one through 10 years. It is doing work now to deliver effects within 10 years, deliver outcomes and benefits, to deliver Joint Force 25 and beyond. Ourselves and the concepts and force development, we're looking beyond that at the next generation. But it is a continuum. We are not two separate entities. So we are essentially through CFD, starting with a concept which will either be dropped into the research analysis bucket or it will go into the develop and deliver bucket in DSNC. So going forward, we are now working with the strategic force development cycle to look at what the future demand will be in the 28, 30 to 35 space, um, to understand the demand profile placed against us and to understand how we might supply against that and how we might deliver future solutions. We're seeking to understand um, what it is that we could do as well as what we must do so that we genuinely can deliver different ways of supporting future forces. But it is conceptually-led. It is strategically aligned because we are sitting in the process with um, the centre. It is evidence-based because we have evidence of over 10 years plus specific to the question. And it is then finally resource aware. We do need to understand the cost and the benefits of that work. And you're going to know the last slide, therefore. So, the process from now, what is the driver? On the right hand side of this, it says SDSR 20. Ignore that. We don't know that SDSR 20 is going to happen. But what we do know is there is going to require some sort of funding review, some sort of capability review, and a decision as to where defence and government will invest their money. For now, that sits at the end of next year for us. But we need something by the end of March of this year that says this is what the Defence Support Network needs to look like. And this is where we need to invest money. And there are opportunities there. You'll see that the Defence Operating Concept in purple is there as an emerging draft. But we're working alongside, at the bottom, our own emerging future logistic force concepts. We're going through a set of processes known as, in the middle, Joint Force Logistic Enabling Seminar. I apologise for the acronyms. The title is going to be too long for this slide. But that seminar looked at the process of getting to a deployment for an operation. And what we're now doing through Plan Force Testing 7 is developing further the process then of projecting into an operation and sustaining that operation and sustaining one at scale. So understanding the big picture demand and how it will work. And there are opportunities to test and validate these. So you have there Army Warfighting Experiment. You've already heard about Autonomous Warrior. Um, and in 
April, May time, with the Navy, we have Sustainable Warriors. And that is our moment to demonstrate those things that we have just been talking about, and then wrapped up subsequently by a concept delivered by Defence Concepts and Doctrine Centre, and underpinning the proposal that we wish to submit, during which time, after which we would have proposed the costs and the benefits for that as well. The final thing is we created a tool, and again, I'm conscious of the questions asked earlier, so what do I do with all the evidence? How do I make sense of this? There's a tool called ILIAD now being delivered by Defence Science and Technology on our behalf. Um, there's a repository for all that evidence, but it is able, so artificial intelligence at first, to interrogate that information. It is able to understand cause and effect. It is, under, it is able to understand dependency and linkages. It is a single true repository of the data, of the evidence that we have, and of the requirements going forward. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes my part on the challenges of where we're headed. Um,